Patrick here with some exciting news. We now have 10 local communities of engineering leaders hosting in-person meetups all over the world. Yes, you heard that right. There are 10 local communities in cities all over the world. These groups are led by engineering leaders just like you who wanted to create a place to connect, to share insights, and tackle critical challenges in the job. To get involved, go to elc.community. Sign up if you haven't already. If you have signed up, make sure you update your location and we'll get you plugged in. We're launching local events all the time. You can find them and get involved again at elc.community. We hear a lot of times about the execution gap, this gap that, you know, we have this idea or we have this outcome we want to achieve. We start building something and then it doesn't have the outcome we intended. That execution gap is because no bridge was ever built. You're making a leap of faith that somehow if we do this, that this will happen. And it's not grounded and most often in its execution and, and process. And so without a clear direction, how do you know what resources or people or process are even needed to achieve the intended outcome that you're, you're working towards? Hello and welcome to the Engineering Leadership Podcast brought to you by ELC, the engineering leadership community. I'm Jerry Lee, founder of ELC. And I'm Patrick Gallagher, and we're your hosts. Our show shares the most critical perspectives, habits, and examples of great software engineering leaders to help evolve leadership in the tech industry. Have you ever been frustrated that your team or organization aren't quite achieving the outcomes that you want? Then you might be facing challenges with alignment. In this conversation with Jonathan Hensley, we dive into questions like, what does alignment actually mean? How do you create it? What throws your team out of alignment? And how do you recognize when you are misaligned? We asked a few engineering leaders from our community to share a couple case studies with us that get into real dilemmas like navigating misaligned product vision and executive conflict, transforming your grand, magnificent product vision into clear actions, and how to shift toward a more customer-centric engineering culture. Jonathan Hensley is co-founder and CEO of Emerge, a digital product consulting firm that works with companies to improve operational agility and customer experience. For more than two decades, Jonathan has helped startups, Fortune 100 brands, technology leaders, large regional health networks, nonprofit organizations, and more transform their businesses by turning strategy, user needs, and new technologies into valuable digital products and services. His work focuses on alignment and helping leaders define the value they want to create in a succinct and tangible way, where to focus, why, and what it will take to achieve that outcome. He's the author of the book Alignment, Overcoming Internal Sabotage and Digital Product Failure. If that sounds familiar or is a challenge that you are facing, then you're in the right place. Enjoy this conversation with Jonathan Hensley. We've got a lot of things we want to talk with you about, and the high-level categories are around alignment and digital product strategy. But to first get acquainted more with you and your background, Jonathan, I was wondering if you could share a little bit more about the story of, of why alignment became a, a focal point for you or a, a really key interest area. And like, why'd you decide to write a book about it? And maybe introduce us a little bit more to what you mean by alignment and why it was such an important concept or principle for you to dive into. Absolutely. So having been in the technology and product space for well over 20 years, there was so many moments where I would see incredible projects and opportunities to really create value that were failing. And I wanted to understand why. So I became obsessed with understanding and studying failure with products, with digital transformation, and understanding really what was the difference between those initiatives that were succeeding and those that were failing. 
And after years of just following my my passion and my interest and trying to understand that there was a theme around alignment that rose to the surface of those that were able to successfully navigate and deliver great products, whether it was internal or external, to successfully navigate and complete you know massive transformation or modernization of their organizations, alignment was at the heart of it. They were able to bring uh, purpose and people and process and resources together in a very specific way to deliver on outcomes. And so that became the foundation of, and the reason behind why I decided to write the book and really help people understand not just what alignment is, but how it has to be applied at the leadership level and with your teams in order to drive that success. The combination of the, the things you illustrated, people, process, purpose, like that's the tricky part of the, the role oftentimes where things get really, really messy. When you said you were, you were examining some of the failures and the things that worked and what didn't, were there any particular failures or I guess case studies that stood out to you during your, your research and time sort of investigating alignment that you think would be kind of fun to comment about? There's so many facets we could dive into. I think that to really dive into that specific piece, I think it's really interesting to actually look at what is alignment consist of. Mm -hmm. And then I can give a couple of examples of where I saw that happening. When I did the research, and this came from years of going through study after study around product failure and, and technology studies and looking at countless interviews that I was conducting with CTOs and, and business leaders and product teams, alignment came out in four you know, ways. It, the first was individual alignment, which was all about how do people understand how their work contributes and matters? You know, Why are we doing what we're doing? How do I make a difference? What impact am I making? And the second big aspect of alignment was around team alignment, which dealt with how do I bring together the unique disciplines and experience and perspective of all these amazing people to help solve problems? The third part of alignment was all about how do I build alignment that reflects the organization's larger purpose or vision, and how does that help us move forward our strategic priorities and market alignment, which all dealt with how do you align with the customer or the end user, and how does that problem you're solving create value that will drive the relevance and sustainability of the business. In that research, you could see you know organizations that had done a tremendous job of doing this, and you know you would have, or you could see where one company was failing because one aspect of it wasn't working. There was a global manufacturer we were interviewing their leadership team for the book. And one of the key things there was they were incredibly well-disciplined at the organizational level. And so they had really strong organizational alignment, but they didn't really know how to take from senior leadership and help them connect that in really building team alignment. So they had a very traditional model of how the, a kind of a command and control model of how they would manage the organization. Software was their next big frontier for their business. Uh, it was going to drive their modernization. But how do they actually built and aligned teams and integrated disciplines became extremely problematic. So their failure was in that they had their knowledge institutionalized and siloed across the organization which made them unable to respond to the market and to really deliver on demands effectively. In other cases, we would run into situations where you would have an organization that was very engineering-centric and had been very successful in that model for many years, but they were being 
challenged by incumbent brands who are coming in who had a much better pulse and connection to the customer. And so that market alignment was completely missing for them. They were making a lot of guesses and assumptions. And so even though the talk was about being customer centric, they didn't have any of the maturity yet as an organization, even though they're a well-established company, to actually engage customers to help them validate what they knew and identify new areas of opportunity so they could prioritize working on the right things at the right time. And so these types of examples were happening all over the place that we would see as we would start to have these conversations. And we see it in the work that we do, both with startups who are kind of in their infancy stages towards those mid-market and Fortune 100 uh, brands that we also work with who are struggling as they're trying to evolve and develop new skills and capacity in the organization. Separating things into sort of the four categories of alignment to me makes it really easy to start to sort of self-assess maybe the gaps that are going on within my organization. And I imagine this is where our conversation is going to quickly fracture into many different many different lanes to, to go down. The broad question is, is how do you recognize when you are misaligned or alignment isn't there and, and there's having a significant impact on the company? And I'm imagining that sort of at each of those four levels, there's probably a little bit of a different approach to it. And so I was wondering maybe if you could share, how can you help sort of recognize when you're out of alignment in some of those different scenarios? The main indication of that there is probably an issue of misalignment is if you are not achieving the outcomes that you want in your business, whether it's within the team at a business unit level or organizational wide, then you can start to honestly diagnose and assess where is misalignment taking place? Why are we not able to achieve these results? What's happening? Have we fundamentally skipped a part of the process? Are we not paying attention to market conditions? Did we not do the work uh, that we needed to in strategy? It starts to really help you understand and, and peel the layers apart of what's happening in the organization. A lot of times we can see it very quickly. Uh, you mentioned kind of that self-assessment. And one of the easiest ways is to say, well, what's the product vision? And many times it's more a stated goal. You know, they'll present a plan. And well, planning's not strategy. It doesn't help anyone in the organization know if we solve this problem for our customer, what is that actual destination or that long-term outcome look like? What kind of value are we recreating? And what time horizon or what does that look like so we can somehow measure our results as we move towards that long-term outcome? And so many times, uh, more often than not, we will find that that's missing right away. And so there's an, an issue of misalignment that's happening. And that is a pretty critical tool to help individuals know how their work matters they need to understand what they're working towards. If you want to have empowered teams, you need to give them a way to prioritize the problems and the work that they're doing in order to make sure that they're not just achieving near-term outcomes, but they're actually moving you towards that, that vision successfully. A lot of times we also see that there's fragmentation across the organization or that vision is interpreted differently. And so when there's this fragmentation and there's this different interpretation of what that means, that becomes very problematic. That's a great indicator that there's misalignment. And misalignment, unfortunately, will manifest itself in lagging indicators in, in very uh, costly ways in time, money, uh, high turnover rates in the organization. Uh, just as a few quick examples, those are really the results of misalignment. And those symptomatic issues are things that we have to be addressing early on in order to keep our teams engaged and focused on the right things. 
so in a way, the alignment uh, starts all the way from alignment with the customer, the external world, to alignment internally across different levels, all the way down to the individuals. I think that's critical, even more dramatically for startups, because the environment, both internally and external environment, very rapidly. What's the device you have for people to uh, to connect those aligned? Because that's really appealing to get everything perfectly aligned as much as possible. Yeah, I mean, I think that there's a couple of easy areas to start that every organization, whether you're a startup or, or a well-established company that you need to really keep top of mind. One is fundamentally you, an organization or as you lead an organization, you have to understand the difference, as I mentioned earlier, between strategy and, and planning and execution. And so we hear a lot of times about the execution gap, this gap that you know we have this idea or we have this outcome we want to achieve, we start building something and then it doesn't have the outcome we intended. And that execution gap is because no bridge was ever built you're making a leap uh, of, of faith that somehow if we do this, that this will happen. And it's not grounded and most often in its execution and, and process. And so without a clear direction, how do you know what resources or people or process are even needed to achieve the intended outcome that you're, you're working towards? When I'm working with founders or executive teams, one of the key things that we do is, you know, we'll start by really making sure there's a clear definition of what is that product vision? What is the intended outcome of that? And does everybody hold that the same way? One of the simplest things you can start with is asking if you're sitting in a room with your colleagues and saying, okay, for example, we keep saying we're customer centric. What does that mean? Have every person go around in the room and explain what that means to them because everybody might hold that term differently. Or in a development environment, you know, we need to be more agile. Okay, well, what does agile mean to you? What are you communicating to me when you say that we be, need to, you know, work more agile? Is it, you know, or we need to, you know, follow more agile methodology? Are you saying we need to be more nimble and adaptive to the market? Agile doesn't skip the steps of, of good strategy and, and planning. It's, it's actually a prerequisite to good, you know, agile development. So we look at those pieces. And I think that often we, you know, people tend to move really fast and they stop doing that checks and balances process of reconciling. Did you, do you understand this the way I do? And that's fundamentally one of the most easiest ways for anybody to start is just to reconcile that because that leads to rework, miscommunication, fragmentation, and deliverables. It, it has a cascading effect of issues that come with that when there's that misunderstanding. And the bigger the company the more significant those challenges and the impacts of that misalignment can be because it's it's harder to correct. So I think that's really important to understand that as just, just as one as example. I think a lot of people will get aligned on that's the best practice, but oftentimes we forgot or didn't realize how easily it can happen. Seemingly everyone on the same page, we just talk about it, but when you do that verification step, people are often surprised. Yeah, I think the other thing that goes with it is that you know, building alignment is something that is it's continuous, just like any great product or, you know, piece of software, right? You're focused on continuous improvement. It needs to be maintained. It needs to be supported. Alignment takes the exact same thing. It, it's It's got to be something that you build into your organization and it, it has to become a discipline where you can go from starting to initially develop it to that it's actually ingrained into your processes and the way that you approach you know strategy and your planning cycles and the way that you conduct and support continuous learning to build your culture and your organization because every single one of them 
is a business accelerator. It accelerates the performance of your team, their ability to solve problems, their ability to drive market value. It gives you a lens, broadly speaking, to really evaluate where these things are happening in the organization. So you can create a level playing field that brings equal opportunity for everybody to contribute and to understand you know, how they can actually help support the vision of the company, which is essentially the purpose of the company. We had a few members of our community share some alignment challenges or scenarios ahead of time. And I think this one sort of hits in the realm of the product vision and bridging the gap and bringing in a lot of people who maybe have different perspectives of what that vision is to them. How do you bring them together and overcome that? So the head of engineering in, say, conflict with a head of sales and head of product are misaligned on what the, the product vision is. And so they all have sort of differing understandings for what everyone's trying to achieve and are sort of conflicted about what the future roadmap should be. So I think a lot of them are talking a little more about the product execution and probably less about the actual product vision. And that might be where the, the tension is. And I think the big challenges here is like, oftentimes the tiebreaker decision maker is the CEO in this in this instance. But in this case, like the CEO is not necessarily playing a a forcing role for for that. So what would you recommend like a, a head of engineering do in that in that moment where there's maybe broader executive misalignment around product vision? Is there a certain practice that you might introduce or a conversation you might recommend they have out in the open together? Absolutely. So one of the key things is that I think is really important is if you're in that type of situation as as a leader that you need to step back and when you're looking at the roadmap are you looking at you know a set of features you're anticipating to deliver or are you more outcomes focused and are you looking at do we have alignment on the problems that we need to solve and is the you know in 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 what order do we need to solve those that's usually just a great starting point some organizations are very feature focused on how they build out their roadmaps there's a whole camp that is very outcomes focused but i think what's really important is when you don't have answers to things and you're in conflict, you know, features are, are very subjective from a, the standpoint of where value is created for many, unless it's been clearly researched customer base that drives that, that value creation. So when you're in conflict, recognize the conflict and then start systematically orienting with your peers in that situation. Well, let's look at this then at a level playing field. So if we look at it from a problem statement perspective, or here's the problems that we need to solve in this order to create value, regardless of feature set. That's something, for example, the head of sales and marketing can get behind because what are they doing? They're trying to solve a problem for the end customer and they can get behind on that. If you're the head of engineering on, on, on the product side, why are you developing that product? Well, to solve that problem, to create that value for the customer. You know, if they're true, we'll then align with the company's strategic objectives. And so that, that starts to create a foundation to resolve that misalignment or conflict that's happening that is really important. I think another facet to that that's really important is to also look at how is leadership organized the incentives of those functions of the business? And are they in alignment or misalignment to actually deliver the outcome that's being asked of them? So if, for example, your organization incentive is built on velocity versus value creation, then that's, that might be at odds with the objectives. So you're slowing down the organization to solve the problem, but that is misaligned with how your performance is being evaluated as a leader in the organization and, and driving your engineering teams. Recognizing that there may be misalignment in the actual incentive structure of how the organization has developed or you know, organically or by intent is also, I think, a really important piece of context because it sets the environment in which you're trying to solve that problem. And so many times, 
cross-functionally, leaders are not aware of how their peers' performance is being measured or the pressure that that results in. And there's a whole list of things that can follow. But at the very onset, I think you have to recognize those two things. One of the other scenarios that kind of came up in the same conversation with a few other heads of engineering was this sort of tension and struggle from translating a broad aspirational, large vision into more specific sort of actionable tactical measures. So I guess bridging the gap between product vision to strategy or from strategy to actual execution. And I think the hang up even came down to like using OKRs in a more functional way. So like identifying an objective and then coming up with key tactical things to to help the organization incrementally move forward. And so I was wondering if you could talk about this next layer of a, a lot of Companies have big aspirational visions and and missions that could theoretically would take an infinite amount of time to accomplish and have an infinite amount of ways to accomplish them. How do you help break some of those things down to become more incremental or more measurable and and more, I guess, graspable of the different teams and people to, to be able to contribute towards? Well, that's a big question. There's a lot, <laughs> there's a lot you could go with on that one. There's a couple of things I, I would start with, I guess. When you have a very ambitious or very aspirational vision. I think one, this is somewhat controversial depending on who you're talking to, but I do think that in, in that situation from an organizational perspective, if, if that leadership, like the CEO of a company actually has to take ownership of that vision and really, really be clear on what makes a great vision successful and actionable for their team. And then, you know, if there's no clear measurement, if there's no clear outcome, it's just something that's kind of lofty, like, we're going to be the best in our industry. I see this all the time. It's like, well, best by what measure? Highest customer satisfaction ranking, most revenue, lowest churn rate, like what, what is it that's actually driving that definition of best? And so you get a lot of confusing language that leaves a lot open to interpretation. So first off, I think leadership has to take true ownership, what they mean when they establish those aspirational goals. Otherwise, it's very subjective and it's very difficult. So that needs to be reconciled first and foremost. Then I think it's really important to start to look at what are we actually trying to accomplish and systematically look at what are the functions or the jobs to be done by this product or this service offering to contribute to that outcome? Is it one product that we're building? Is it an entire portfolio of internal systems and processes? You know, what, what does it actually require to solve that problem, to deliver that outcome? And so if we don't get clear on the outcomes we're trying to achieve, we can't effectively start to build tactics towards those outcomes and explore them. One of the key things, and it reminds me of, of an actual situation. I was, I was working with the CTO for a software company, and they were really struggling to figure out how to move forward in their portfolio as a whole because they didn't really have a clear idea of what job the customer was hiring their product to fulfill. And so they had a misconception of their competition and how to actually drive that. You start to understand that and what outcomes have to come from that. You can then start to really understand, well, what's the deeper roots of the problem you're solving? And so that CTO really needed to, instead of exploring all these solutions, you know, are we going to build something? Are we going to buy something off the shelf? We had to reorient and said, you know what you need to do? You need to fall in love with the problem you're solving. Your team will solve it. 
They're incredibly smart people. Empower them to solve the problem. Stop focusing on solutions. And you need to be the expert on the problem to making sure that the problem itself is truly being solved well. And that will contribute to the CEO's goals. And so really being clear on that structure of that vision where the value is created, now let's go look at out of these problems what needs to be solved in what order to achieve the intended outcome. Now we can start looking at potential solutions for each one of these problems systematically. And we have a, an evaluation criteria. If we solve problem one and it doesn't enable us to solve problem two and it doesn't move us forward towards the larger vision, it's probably not the right solution. You know, So you start to systematically break that down. You give yourself the ability to start to build a level of competence through that process. Patrick here with some exciting news. We now have 10 local communities of engineering leaders hosting in-person meetups all over the world. Yes, you heard that right. There are 10 local communities in cities all over the world. These groups are led by engineering leaders just like you who wanted to create a place to connect, to share insights, and tackle critical challenges in the job. To get involved, go to elc.community. Sign up if you haven't already. If you have signed up, make sure you update your location and we'll get you plugged in. We're launching local events all the time. You can find them and get involved again at elc.community. I, I was withholding asking a question because the immediate thing comes to my mind is, is diving deeper into evaluation criteria. But I, I want to present one more scenario before getting to evaluation criteria because I think it helps kind of round out, I think, some of the dilemmas that a lot of folks in the head of engineering function are, are being presented with right now. Because you, you had mentioned earlier talking about building a, a, like a customer-centric culture. And when I think of culture, like I think oftentimes like I get kind of hung up on the, it's less immediately visceral or tactical or clear for like, how do you actually influence that? And so the, the quick scenario here is there's a CTO, and they're overseeing both hardware, software, and DevOps for the functions of their, their organization. The way they stated the problem was like, we're trying to shift our engineering organization to become more customer centric. And so we spent about probably an hour and a half with the, the five or so CTOs in this conversation, really diving into how do you do that? I think everybody was sort of struggling with the ambiguity of dealing with culture where it can be a little bit more invisible. And so you'd mentioned like have everybody explain what customer centric means and using that as an anchor point to align. I was wondering if you could share a little bit more about that making that shift to a more customer centric culture and, and what that might look like within an organization at sort of the team or org level. Making that culture transition, it's a big undertaking. It takes, again, continuous investment to make that shift, and it takes a lot of support. I think one of the most powerful tools is to really help everybody involved understand that their perspective, their version of the truth is not necessarily reality for, for the customer. So we all have a lens that we have on a situation based on where we stand in, in that you know, environment. As an example, if I'm standing in the middle of the woods, I, I don't see the forest. If you're standing across a field and you're looking at the forest, you have a different context. You have a different vantage point. And so when we start to look at building customer-centric organizations and helping technology leaders really develop a, that culture and that practice, one of the key things that we really start with is helping them understand empathy. And how do you actually start to build empathy within your organization? It has to go beyond, I think, talking about it. I think you have to find ways to actually integrate and create experiences for your team so they can live it. Uh, a really good example is we were working with a group and uh, they support hospitals. And we came in and we said, well, how much time have you actually spent in the hospital with patients? The answer was never. 
you know, our, our, our users are doctors and they're nurses. We're like, but doctors and nurses are using your software in the context of serving patients. And they never thought of that. Instead, what we did is we made some calls and got some, was able to get some participation and from a couple of organizations. And we brought leaders into the hospitals to shadow nurses and physicians and to sit in rooms like the ER and listen and just pay attention. And all of a sudden, you saw their entire world shift on how their product was being used because they could empathize with it and then they could personalize it as well. They're able to build individual alignment for those that could then reference back to a moment maybe they had been in the hospital or needed care or been sick or they'd work with a team and they would start to share stories you know, about, well, this was my experience when I was sitting in the ER and this was my experience when my, you know, son or daughter was born or this, you know, they were able to start to then find a connection and recognizing our software is being used in all these instances. And this is the different scenarios and environments that our end users are, are dealing with. And we're selling to the IT side of an organization but they're only buying if we can actually create value for the organization, which means supporting these incredible people who are providing these care. Using that lens of empathy to help create a culture change to becoming customer-centric, to understanding how you can create more value, and again, coming back to how you understand the impact that your work makes on others, mm -hmm is an incredibly powerful tool. And I think that when organizational leaders who have that uh, are sitting in that role of CTO or, or other roles similar can integrate empathy as a practice into uh, the technical side of an organization. It's incredibly powerful. Absolutely. So where we were struggling with because it, it came up, you know, spend spend time with folks that are, are using your your product was something that it was like, if you're not doing that, that's like a gold. You absolutely have to like it's non-negotiable. Sure. Are there other sort of systems or ways to operationalize that consistent practice of empathy with the the folks that are using it? Because like with the stories you're sharing, like that makes a huge difference on what you choose to focus on as an organization, which then makes a huge impact on the people that are dependent on your product or service and what you're doing. How else can you introduce that maybe if, if there are other practices outside of that? This goes back to really understanding in your product, if we're at the empathetic layer of like, for every user flow or function of your product, what's the intended outcome? It's amazing how few products are actually mapped to that standard. And if you can do that, you can start to very easily see, well, who is contributing and participating and delivering on that experience that the product is, is offering? And what is necessary to drive improvement in the product. And so that's a really powerful tool for an organization to have clarity on because then you can start to build practices around it. So if we focus on first-time use of the product, well, who's responsible for that? Well, that's usually a combination of maybe sales and you've got, let's say you have a, an engineer team or a customer success team that's involved. You know, this is all an opportunity to start to say, if, if we're doing this hands-on, what does this look like in order to move closer and closer to this intended outcome? How do we build a listening mechanism into the organization, into the way that we work to drive outcomes? How do we break down the silos where maybe you have a UX designer who's responsible for research and then they're supposed to bring those insights to engineering? Best practices would, would say, well, your product manager and your PM and an engineering lead should be doing customer research collaboratively. 
that that's actually shouldn't, there shouldn't be a filter mechanism in that if, if you can afford that opportunity to do that kind of deep dive and continuous discovery. So I think that's really important. I think also building out, you know, we talk about it within the context of just customer experience, but really what you, you know, when you think about helping accelerate the, you know, teams in that situation is there's an entire base of common language that has to be defined. And I think that a lot of times we spend too much time in our own acronyms and our own language and we could be so much more efficient and we could stay in a more empathetic state if we could use the language of our customers in the work that we do uh, and making sure that that's a part of our process. And I think that's, you know, there's lots of little things like that that can be easily implemented into teams to help them as they go forward. I wanted to dive a little bit deeper because it, it sounds like all of this really hinges on having really clear intended outcomes with what your, your product is, 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 is doing. Is there a, a framework or an activity you would recommend for people to really become clear on what those intended outcomes are? Yeah, I mean, I think that there's a couple of things. So let's separate outcomes, broadly speaking, into two buckets. The first bucket is, what is the psychological need or challenge that your product is providing or, or solving for versus what's the functional need. I'll just use cars as an example, because it's a really easy one. Volvo is known for safety. That's the psychological core component of their product. They don't make anything that does not focus on the emphasis of addressing that, you know, that core need from its customers. The functional needs, they have a whole array of products that psychologically have to meet that core, but functionally can operate extremely differently. That's staying true to, to the brand. By understanding that, they have an understanding of, as a company, safety is a non-negotiable for us. Functionally, here's the space that we can innovate within. And this is what we're great at. You know, whereas Toyota, and just to be clear, anybody listen, I don't work with either one of these companies. So, But Toyota, their psychological core need might be reliability something like that, right? It's not that safety isn't also absolutely critical and they have an impeccable safety record as well, but they they can work in the same space. They can have very clear intended focus and move towards outcomes, understanding that Toyota is not going to put out a product that is not reliable. Volvo will not put out a product that's not safe. When you understand the core psychological value of whatever your product is, and you also understand then the functional needs it has to meet, you can start to get much clearer on what the outcomes then have to be. Because one outcome may not make you feel safe, but it may be really exciting, but that's not in alignment with what you're trying to actually create with the product itself. And so if you're trying to have a sense of authority or confidence, I think this, you know, the whole space in cybersecurity right now is, is a really good example of this as well, because what are they selling? They're trying to sell you a product that gives you peace of mind you know, at its, at its essence, and then the functional capabilities to stop cyber attacks or, you know, issues of, well, the whole list of issues we could, we could talk about. But at its essence, it's that peace of mind that they're selling or trying to give you that tool that you don't have. I think it's really important for leaders to understand what those actual needs are. And then second to that is what are the attributes that they can provide. And what I mean by attributes are what are the, the combination of features or components in that special way that they're providing that provide that value that differentiates them. And so that's really important uh, to understand because that one helps you understand the competitive landscape. It also helps you understand outcomes. It helps you understand that, you know, how you can approach differentiation 
to be in alignment with market fit. And so the, just that little piece right there between the value drivers and then understanding your attributes um, becomes really powerful. On an internal side, it's exactly the same. It's no different if you're building tools um, in, internally in the organization to, su to support the team. You know, you have a team of employees, maybe they're national, maybe they're global, that have a certain expectation in order for them to fulfill whatever their function is and to be able to support and enable the rest of the organization. And so I think that understanding to move towards outcomes is kind of a prerequisite that really helps an organization identify those outcomes. I really like the, the thing you mentioned earlier that unified the, the taking the language from the customers, how they describe value and adopting internally across teams to use the same set of languages. I think that's really interesting and critical. Yeah, it, I think it's, this is something where I think, you know, often it's a challenge for any part of the organization, but when you can start to normalize those things and you see this so much in the technology spaces, we, we push things out and, you know, we create a big barrier to entry for a lot of our customers or users because, you know, we create a steep learning curve. And so what, if we can lower that learning curve and we can have more of a one-to-one -one conversation, you know, that's going to be an accelerator for the organization as well. I mean, think of coming into a, a company as a new engineer uh, that's really excited to, to start working on the product and then be able to work in that product and, under, and understand the customer from day one. I'm chuckling because the first question I wrote down, Jonathan, for like, oh, this will probably be a good place to start is, is kind of ironic because I think in a lot of ways you have filled in the answer to this question already. And so the scenario I wanted to present was a, a CTO serving in a dual role of a CTO and a CPO. And my question is, well, how do you help somebody build out a, a product competency or improve their sort of product thinking strategy for somebody who is not functionally well-versed or studied in the world of product? And I'm sitting here, I'm like, well, we pretty much just just dove into to a lot of those elements from being able to understand alignment and misalignment, what factors into that, how to break down some goals from aspirational vision, uh, how to identify outcomes and the difference between psychological and functional needs. It's like all of those questions at the root are like helping people better, ultimately better create products. The element that's been burning though is is more of like the the final piece that you had mentioned about product strategy is about measurement and and measurement criteria. And I was just wondering if you could expand a little bit more on, on how to think about that or how to come to a determination of, of what's like an effective way to sort of me measure your progress in those areas. And I understand there's probably some variability depending on the space and whatnot, but just curious to hear your thought process uh, around determining what's an effective measurement. To answer the question of measurement, there's kind of diff there's different tiers of measurement that, that have to take place. And I think that it is different for every organization at a certain level. Structurally, it, it can be the same. So, you know, we've talked a lot about vision. The second piece we've talked a bit about, which is a, of a great strategy, I should clarify, is you know fundamentally you have to have a really solid vision for your for your product. The second part is you have to have a very clear, detailed understanding of the challenge you're trying to solve with that product. Who's the customer that it, that problem is impacted by? Does the end user buy the product or use the product? How does that you know challenge manifest in the, in their daily lives or in their work? You know what what's the impact of that problem, et cetera. Secondarily, in, in a great strategy, you have to under define clearly if we solve this problem, what you know is the near term outcome we're trying to achieve. So, for arguments like let's say eighteen months out or twelve to eighteen months out, what is the near term outcome we want to achieve for the business? And then what's the near-term outcome we want to achieve for our end users? And I think it's really important. Usually you have one or the other, 
and it's not sufficient. You have to have both. Um, it goes back to that evaluation criteria. How do I know I'm moving forward in the right way? And then you can address the fourth piece, which is understanding what's my approach. So once we have understanding of the problem space and we have an understanding of our outcomes that we are trying to achieve our intended outcomes, we can start to explore the possibilities. What are all the possibilities that we can uh, look at to achieve those outcomes? In that possibility space, we're looking and trying to narrow down the possibilities that one, help us leverage our experience and expertise, and two, we can actually solve within our constraints meaning we only have so many people or so many resources we can throw just at this problem. And it's unrealistic to think that all of a sudden, if we pick a direction, like, okay, maybe Tesla can solve that problem, but I don't have the capital of Tesla. How can I solve that problem, right? So completely different scope and situation. So we have to keep it contextualized. And then fourth is measurement. How will we measure forward progress? So what I like to look at is the two measurements and forward progress is one, how are we going to measure towards that near-term outcome? And then two, do we have a clearly measurable long-term objective? And are we measuring and reporting on both of those? That's really important. And within the context of measurement, are we choosing a method where we can identify potentially a leading indicator of those outcomes versus lagging indicators of those outcomes? So revenue is a pretty poor indicator of performance because it's a, it's a lagging indicator. Whereas if I can understand a predictable habitual behavior of our customer that drives revenue, that's going to help me. So I'm going to be looking at how do I optimize that behavior and that level of engagement and how do I support that because it's the precursor to that revenue ever, you know, hitting the company. Same goes for internal workflow modernization. You know, what is that precursor that drives that? And so you see that being a really powerful piece of, of understanding to, to drive and measure performance. Dropbox did a great job at this by really recognizing that their business value was the leading indicator was many years ago, they took a, a bottom-up strategy to their platform, and they recognized that if we can let people install it uh, at the bottom of the funnel and get them to start collaborating, then by the time they're uh, using it and they've shared you know, enough information, it's a no-brainer for somebody who is willing to foot the bill to hand over that credit card for it because they want to protect the collaboration and the pace of the work that's taking place. So what did they do? They got the paywall out of the way. They just removed it. And so now what they do is they can measure, well, what's the indication that there's going to be a potential paying customer? It's how much data are they sharing in the platform? within a certain cycle. Those are great things that come from understanding what is the leading indicator to the and behaviors that drive the outcomes that we want. And so when you can do that, you can have really effective and powerful ways to measure the progress that you're trying to achieve. So many follow-up questions about identifying leading indicators. But I know we're, we're coming close on, on our time. And so uh, we had a couple rapid-fire questions we were hoping we could conclude our conversation with if you're ready, Jonathan. I'm ready. Perfect. What are you reading or listening to right now? Uh, right now, I'm rereading The Hard Things About Hard Things by Ben Horowitz. It's one of my favorite books, and I, I read it uh, every year. That's great. A great recommendation. Rapid fire number two, what tool or methodology has had a big impact on you? Most recently, I would have to say I've really been enjoying uh, a deeper study of the Kano model. For those that aren't familiar with it, the Kano model was developed by uh, an economist who wanted to understand what is the precursor uh, to driving um, successful revenue or investment uh, and engagement with customers. It addresses 
what are the base expectations that have to be met? And then how do you design for delight? And how do you measure or look at not meeting those expectations and how that detracts you from finding market fit and success? That's been a really uh, wonderful um, framework to come back to. It sounds like almost like an operationalized version of Maslow's hierarchy, at least to be able to implement it in a product uh, where it's like base needs and then higher higher order needs, wants, and desires. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to look that up. That sounds great. What is a trend you're seeing or following that's interesting or hasn't hit the mainstream yet? I think actually one of the things that is trending up significantly right now is how do you build more empowered product teams? And I'm seeing more and more that IT and and technology leaders are being asked to drive a lot of this transformation within organizations. By doing that, they have to build uh, more democratized and autonomous teams that are empowered to make decisions as they go so they can effectively solve problems and keep pace with the market. And I think that that is one of the most exciting things. And that's really also leading to a fully integrated team model between product management, design, and, and uh, engineers, which is uh, amazing to see them now collaborating at every stage of the product lifecycle. I think you really named a trend that I don't think we've had a chance to really clarify before. I think we're seeing that a lot. And I think that's why Jerry and I have been so excited for this conversation with you, Jonathan, is to, to help people better build out that, that skill set and, and approach. One more question for you. Is there a quote or a mantra that you live by or a quote that's really resonating with you right now? Something that I come back to uh, actually just this morning was a a quote from uh, Jared Spool, who um, I had the pleasure of interviewing for my book. And he, he said, without a shared understanding, you're missing the critical context for asking better questions and making better and more informed decisions. That is really resonated. Uh, with me and something that I'm seeing reinforced almost daily right now. Jared brings a lot of wisdom uh, to his work. And so that one really stuck with me. That's that's an important reminder. And I think everybody should start their day with is is creating a shared understanding for better decisions. Jonathan, thank you so much for, for your time and, and helping us all really clearly, critically think about how we can make better, more strategic product decisions and tackle the thorny and almost like ever pervasive and probably will never go away challenges with alignment and misalignment. We really appreciate having you. Thank you. We covered a bunch of great case studies in our conversation with Jonathan. Here's a quick recap of some of those takeaways. So how do you recognize when you're misaligned? Well, to start, are you achieving the types of outcomes you want? And why are you honestly not achieving those results? Some of the common ones is the product vision fragmented across different parts of your org Is the product vision more a stated goal and it's unclear about the strategy required to accomplish that goal? What's the long-term outcome? What value are you creating and on what time horizon? The most important first step to create alignment, start by clearly defining the product vision and the intended outcome of that vision. And then confirm, does everybody share that vision? And when people are describing certain ambiguous qualities or characteristics that can be up to interpretation, get people to share what they really mean by those certain qualities or characteristics. If there's misalignment in the product vision, step back, look at the roadmap, and confirm, are you looking at a feature set or are you outcomes focused? Do you have alignment on the problems that need to be solved and on the order that those problems need to be solved. And when you've identified a problem solution statement, ask, how has leadership organized the incentive of those functions? Are they aligned to actually deliver the outcome that's being asked? Another great piece of awareness in this situation is to know how the performance of your cross-functional peers or colleagues is being evaluated. So then you can identify areas where your incentives may be misaligned. So now you have a big ambitious product vision 
Your responsibility as a leader is to take ownership of that vision and to be really clear on what makes that vision successful and actionable for your team. Really clearly assess what are we actually trying to accomplish? What are the functions or the jobs to be done by this product or service that contributes to that outcome? And what's actually required to solve that problem and deliver that outcome. Then you can break down the larger vision systematically. If we solve problem one and it doesn't enable us to solve problem two or move us towards that larger vision, it's probably not the right solution. How do you create a more customer-centric engineering culture? First, help your team understand that their version of the truth is not necessarily the reality of the customer. So create mechanisms for your team to build empathy for your end customer. Customer calls are great, but if you can get your team to actually shadow customers in the context in which they're using your product, that's going to reveal a ton of great insights into the problems you're trying to solve. How do you identify the right intended outcomes? Well, you need to identify what is the psychological challenge or need that your product is solving versus the functional need itself. And then what are the attributes or the combination of features or components that provide that value and create the differentiation? How do you measure alignment? Well, it starts with a clear product vision and then identify what is your long-term objective and what is your short-term outcome to help you measure forward progress towards that long-term objective. And then you need to measure and report on both short-term and long-term objectives. Ideally, those methods are a leading indicator of those outcomes. So the example here, identifying a predictable behavior of a customer that leads to them making a purchase decision versus measuring the actual revenue itself. If you enjoyed this conversation and all of the topics around alignment and the different case studies, then you should definitely check out Jonathan's book, Alignment, for more great stories and insights. I just picked up a copy. It's been a great read so far, and I've learned a lot from Jonathan and the book. We have a link to the book in the show notes. Uh, the link also has tons of great strategic resources that you can use to build alignment and product success. So go check it out. You can find the link in our show notes. Uh, otherwise, thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time. If you enjoyed the episode, make sure that you click subscribe if you're listening on Apple Podcasts or follow if you're listening on Spotify. And if you love the show, we also have a ton of other ways to stay involved with the engineering leadership community. To stay up to date and learn more about all of our upcoming events, our peer groups, and other programs that are going on, head to sfelc.com. That's sfelc.com. See you next time on the Engineering Leadership Podcast.